This week on Geek Explained, special guest Matt Draper returns to the podcast to celebrate Dare Sember by counting down our favorite issues of Daredevil. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about Daredevil. That's right, it's the most wonderful time of the year where we put a spotlight on the protector of Hell's Kitchen. And of course, if you're going to talk Daredevil, you have to bring in the expert. So special guest Matt Draper is returning to the podcast. We're going to be talking about our favorite Daredevil issues, but because uh, we are who we are, are and daredevil as a character is too big for one week this will be part one of the discussion with part two going up next week on the podcast we'll be talking about three of our top five favorite daredevil issues of all time and next week we'll be covering our final two uh choices alongside honorable mentions but this week we have so many uh, great Daredevil comics to talk about. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. There is a great conversation about what Daredevil means as a character, what he means to his supporting cast, and what he means to us, Matt and myself, as fans. I cannot wait to share that with you. We also have the newest weekly review on the latest episode of The Mandalorian. I have lots to say about that. And of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No miscellaneous news, so we're going to dive right into comics news. Two pieces of comics news that I'm pretty excited about, to be honest. Uh, news from both of our big two companies. First off, uh, Marvel. Marvel has unveiled their next step for the Hickman X-Men era, and that is the Reign of X. That's right, we started off with House of X, Powers of Ten, then we went into Dawn of X, and now that we have gone through the... Um, the uh, Ten of Swords event, we are now going to be moving into the next phase, which is Reign of X. It begins this month, and they... Uh, advertised it with this big old splash image lots of stuff to kind of pull from here i'm looking at it right now we see the return of patch uh one of wolverine or one of logan's uh most well-known aliases uh we see the white queen holding an h uh envelope possibly uh, inviting a new member into the hellfire trading company we do see uh monet alongside archangel which is interesting uh, we've got Storm there. We see the return of uh, Sink and Wolverine, Laura Kinney, uh, from the 
portal thing that they went into a while back alongside a picture of what looks like Nightcrawler looking through this journal. Maybe it's Moira's journal. That would be really interesting. Uh, we do see that uh, Douglas might be having a romance in his future, as well as the returns of not only Nimrod, but also the Shadow King, as well as Arcade. We do see that uh, Quentin Quire also is getting some play here. And of course, we've got our big two, the couple, uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey, with some shadowy figures behind them. But the image that really stuck out to me what i think is kind of the big news here is tucked away at the far left of this image where it shows us that we might get the return of legion i'm really excited about the possibility of that uh, especially with how unstable legion has been in the past now he could possibly be bringing this whole thing down uh and also the fact that he is not just the son of charles xavier but also the son of moira mctaggart so uh or moira x whatever you want to call it so there is a lot of potential there that i'm really excited to see where it goes and then on the flip side over in DC, if you went to your local comic book shop this past new, co uh, new comic book day uh, from last week, you would have picked up the DC Nation Presents Future State uh, Previews book, which gives you just kind of all the things you need to know about the event, though I think our episode on the subject is a lot more comprehensive. Go back and check that out if you haven't already. But the big news that comes out of this book is that we have an official timeline for future Future state. This is kind of a big deal, at least for me, and it helps me kind of track and figure out which books are going where. So I'm just going to run through it with you real quick. Uh, everything kind of kicks off in 2025, so five years from now, as everyone was kind of... Uh, as all the books were kind of hinting at. In 2025, we have the events of Arkham Knights, Batgirls, Batman Superman, Batman Catwoman, or no, Batman sorry, uh, Catwoman, Gotham City Sirens, Harley Quinn, Grifters, Nightwing, Outsiders, Red Hood, and Robin Eternal. So a lot of Bat books are happening in 2025. In 2027, we get Dark Detective, The Flash, and Teen Titans. So that's really interesting. We then uh, jump ahead two more years, and the only book that happens in 2029 is Shazam. So, um, I wasn't super, I mean, there's a lot of narrative potential with Shazam, and I, th I think it's interesting that it's the only one that's happening this year. But the next year, we get another big explosion. In 2030, we've got Aquaman, Black Racer, Justice League Dark, uh, Metropolis, Midnighter, Mr. Miracle, Suicide Squad, Superman of Metropolis, Superman Worlds of War, and Nubia. And then we jump another five years later for The Last Lantern, and then another five years after that for Justice League. So if you listen to the episode that I did with Malcolm kind of covering everything, we were talking about different uh, time periods uh, to kind of explain the aesthetic differences between like the solo books that feature the new Batman and Jonathan Kent and how they differ from the uh, looks that they had in uh, the Justice League book. So then we jump, is that right? Wow. We jump 10 years for the next set of books, which is Kara Zor-El Superwoman, Yara Floor, and Superman versus Imperious Lex. So that's really interesting to me. Uh, then we jump 20 years to find Superman Wonder Woman. So, Yara Floor, let me track this again. 
Uh, Yara Floor doesn't show up, or at least her solo adventures don't happen until 2050. And then her so her uh, team-up book with Superman, John Kent, doesn't happen until 2070. That's, uh, that's a big jump. That is a large jump. Uh, then we go even further into the year 3000 with House of L and Legion of Superheroes, the year 4500 for Swamp Thing, the year 82,020 for Black Adam, and it says the end of time is where we get Immortal Wonder Woman. So a lot to unpack there. Uh, there's a lot of time hopping, which I'm interested in. I'm interested to see how the world kind of shapes itself past that and how that kind of has a ripple effect throughout the rest of the line. So that's really interesting to me. And then moving right along to TV news, uh, three pieces of news, one really exciting, one sort of exciting, and one not exciting. So I'm going to go up the tier there. Uh, first off, the not exciting news. Uh, you heard us cover uh, Utopia in one of our wildcard weekly reviews and unfortunately it looks like i'm not going to get the opportunity to uh, cover that again because utopia has been canceled after one season uh which sucks because i thought it was really interesting it was a really uh fun binge watch but some sometimes you know amazon's got to focus on its other stuff so totally get it it sucks but uh what can you do next for the uh pretty exciting news uh, we got our first big trailer for the doctor who holiday special revolution of the daleks um what sucks is that um we were all kind of expecting and hoping that it was going to be a christmas special as it had been kind of um uh, marketed as such but after the trailer completes it says new year's day so this will be another new year's day special for doctor who in this chibnall era which sucks um i was kind of hoping to get it on christmas to kind of kickstart that christmas tradition again but uh, i'm just glad we're getting it the trailer looks great uh captain jack harkness is front and center so i'm really jazzed about that and uh it's harkness and the doctor versus the daleks so what more could you want so that's really exciting uh but the big exciting news that i'm really excited about that no one else might be excited about is that g4 has finally found its host and it is indeed xavier woods i'm really excited um big congratulations to him uh you could tell he's wanted it for a while and he's been campaigning super hard for it and i'm just gonna go ahead and say that our podcast was really the one that swayed the decision we were the ones way back when this first kicked off that uh, told everyone to use the hashtag and to go vote for xavier woods so i'm gonna go ahead and take credit for it you can uh send me my uh my cut of your paychecks whenever you want xavier woods so <laughs> but uh seriously i'm really excited about that that just makes the reboot of g4 even more exciting for me and then finally rolling on to film news two pieces of news one not so exciting one really exciting this is really this is kind of like a uh a tale of two news segments so um it's funny how that kind of worked out, but not so exciting news this past week. We found out that actor David Prowse passed away. If you're not familiar with the name, you are more than familiar with his uh, his resume because he was Darth Vader uh, before they 
brought in James Earl Jones to uh, dub over the performance of Darth Vader in uh, the original Star Wars trilogy, David Prowse was the man who was behind the mask as well as the voice of uh, Darth Vader before, like I said, uh, James Earl Jones came in. All of the physicality, all of the... um, Pretty much everything besides the voice when it comes to Darth Vader was Dave Prowse. He was a British bodybuilder slash actor who was known for a bunch of different things, but his most prominent role was probably Darth Vader. Um, We don't know yet if it was COVID-related. He was 85, um, but... It's it's sad because, you know, we we hear all these stories about how great he was and we lost Peter Mayhew um, the other year. And it's just it's sad to hear news like this. So um, I'm going to send our uh, our best wishes and all of the uh, good vibes we can to his family, who I'm sure are having a tough time. And um, yeah, so uh, and then finally, the last piece of news here, something that I am excited to talk about is that this past week, the uh, rights to Daredevil have officially moved back to Marvel. Marvel can now do whatever they want with the character. So, of course, the hashtag Save Daredevil has been just catching fire on Twitter. Um, it's almost like I planned this in advance to have a Daredevil-centric episode during the time that Daredevil moves back to uh, back to Marvel. I couldn't have planned it any better if I tried. It doesn't really work, I just realized, because it's not. this is an audio format, it's not a video format, and that was strictly kind of a gag to look at the camera. Um, but I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited that Daredevil is finally going to... Uh, be put to use. I, of course, like many others, want a season four greenlit as soon as possible. But barring that, I am assuming we can see we will be able to see him on Disney Plus or in the MCU fairly soon. Uh, just bring back Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox is Daredevil. Charlie Cox is Matt Murdock, and he deserves to continue playing with that character. But that is going to do it for this week's news. And speaking of Daredevil, we're going to roll right on into the main event, the entree, if you will, which is part one of a two-part Daresember discussion with Matt Drake as we discuss our top five favorite Daredevil issues of all time.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. It is main event time. We are talking Daredevil, specifically our top five favorite Daredevil issues. We're not talking single, like, we're not talking huge stories or sagas. We may get to that in a future video, but for video. See, you've already got me. Uh, we might talk about that in a future episode, but um, today for this episode, we're going to be talking our top five favorite single Daredevil issues. And when I think about Daredevil, when I think about people who love Daredevil, there's only one name that really comes to mind, and that is comic tube extraordinaire Matt Draper. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me on. And uh, it's it's an honor to be as closely associated with the man without fear as, as that is. So, uh, yeah, thank you. I'm really Absolutely. happy to be here talking about Daredevil. Yeah, and the, for those of you who don't know, and we'll talk about it a little bit later at the end as well, um, when this episode goes up, we will be at the starting line for Matt's series, Dare Sember. It is a wonderful time of year, just as exciting as Christmas itself, I think. And um, I, you can, I guess you could consider this like a Dare Sember tie-in. Like, there's like War of the Realms, and then there's like a little West Coast Avengers tie-in. Where that, where that plucky West Coast Avengers Superior Spider-Man team up? What, I think you're much, you're much bigger than that. No, no offense against <laughs> West Coast Avengers, any era of West Coast <laughs> Avengers, really. I mean, uh, I, I abhor tie-ins, so I, I, I would say you're, you are the. Um, you're the special one-off issue that really fills in the gaps that you need to understand the character motivations of this this sprawling epic that is Dare Sember, really. Oh, there we, there we go. See, okay, so then I guess you could consider this the speed metal of a comic that we both love, Dark Knight's Death <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. The speed metal, speed metal was great. Speed metal was my favorite. Yeah, out of that entire series. And the rest, I mean, the rest, it's still ongoing at the moment we're talking about this, but, you know, yeah. does it really matter? I mean, <laughs> I'm just glad the speed metal was good, so forget it. Yeah, that's the, the, a great one-off, one-issue event. I, I don't know what happens afterwards, but I mean... I didn't really get the context of that issue, but it was cool. They ran a lot. <laughs> Wally figured some stuff out. Awesome. Great art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we are talking, as I said, our favorite Daredevil issues. Um, I wanted to get Matt's um, Matt's viewpoint on this because, as I stated, Matt is a huge Daredevil fan, has been for a very long time, and has, I think, the world record for the highest stack of Daredevil comics, at least in my circle. Maybe in your circle. I'm, I don't have every single one, so I'm sure there's a Daredevil completist out there that could really stick it to me. With, the, with for, their for those staff. of you, because because this is an audio format, he's saying this as he's flipping through a gigantic Daredevil omnibus. So he's like, "Yeah, you know, I don't know if this is really a big collection." This is my this is my um, uh, Miller and Jansen uh, Daredevil omnibus. I'm just mm. I'm just getting ready. I'm just pulling up pulling up an issue when when it's my turn <laughs> to talk about. It. I'm prepared. So we're coming at this as fans of the characters, fans of the genre, and this is going to be spanning the entire history of the character. You'll see older comics, newer comics, all over the place. And we made kind of the, um, the decision individually that we weren't going to rank these because it was already hard enough to narrow them down to just five that 
ranking them from you know least favorite to most favorite would be like picking your favorite animal your favorite pet and i don't think any of us want to do that even though it's probably lucky the pizza dog at the top now (laughs) so i am going to open the floor up to matt to kick things off here uh matt what is your your first entry into our favorite daredevil single issues so um my first entry well i'll give a little context you know we were talking back and forth about this and we wanted to do three comics originally (laughs) and then we we ballooned it up to five each because there's just a ton especially when you're doing single issue Mm. um you know if it was arc if we're doing like arc you know like a five issue six issue arc or whatever um it might be a little bit easier and and i realized that maybe some of the um, newer, uh, more modern Daredevil stories might actually kind of like this works against them. Like I was mm-hmm. thinking about Bendis and I was thinking about um, thinking about Brubaker and they really work well in like full arcs. Absolutely. So um, because their storytelling is a lot more decompressed than it was, you know, a dec- like a couple decades ago. But, you know, your classic comic book style. It, it's a lot easier in those those really compressed comics to get like a full and complete story in a single issue. Whereas with, you know, Bendis, he's telling this really long, awesome story. I love his run. I love Brubaker's run too. But those two guys especially were like really drawing it out. And mm. issues, really fast issues too. You read those and you're flying through those comics like at a super yeah. fast rate. Um, so... I wanted to kind of have a nice representation across ish, across time, uh, across all the different um, I, generations of Daredevil without really discounting anyone or or not not discounting like anything in favor just for representation. Um, but I there were certain things where it's like it's, it was re- really hard to um, decide on this first one that I'm talking about because I only wanted one issue from uh, Frank Miller's run. Uh, from his mm. um, his his original run, um, and do you, do you hear a squeaking in the background? <laughs> a little bit, but not... okay, it's not too bad. <laughs> no, 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 that no. is my dog with his chew toy in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets ang- when he gets like hyped and anxious, he's been trained to to go at his chew toy <laughs> instead of oh, that. He's, he's hyped he about Daredevil. Super hyped about Daredevil. Okay, good. So <laughs> anyway, um, my po- my choice for this first uh, first issue is Daredevil 179 spiked by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're unfamiliar, uh, Miller and Janssen had this really influential seminal run on Daredevil. Um, Miller was was drawing before he started writing, but he started writing at 168, and he went through 191, and his partner was Klaus Janssen, who was his inker, and then eventually co-artist, and then the main artist for the um, series, as Miller couldn't do the art as much. So... He was the penciler and author, and then, you know, just time catches up with you when you're the author, and so he went into doing breakdowns, then he just did thumbnails. But um, Spiked is most... It's Jansen working off of Miller's breakdown, so it's kind of half and half them. But this is, like, smack dab in the middle of the Electra saga. So this mm. is um, the, you know, storyline for Miller who introduced Electra. If you're familiar with, with Daredevil, you probably know Electra. Uh, Long Lost Love of Daredevil... Uh, now she's a ninja assassin, and they're kind of you know working against one another, but they still love each other. So they're kind of like in this tortured, doomed romance um, in their relationship. And Spiked is told completely from the perspective of Ben Urich, 
the uh, reporter. He's so great. And I realized that he's really central to most of the comics that I picked for this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's, you know, to spoil uh, the the Daredevil TV series, he's great in the first season and then they kill him off. I know. And he was... Oh, my God. He was one of my favorite characters. I mean, I had always been a fan of Ben Yurick as a character. And then just the portrayal of him in that show was just next level. Yeah. And he was so good. And then when they killed him off, like, it was a shocking turn of events. And it really motivates the finale of season one. But then I was like, hey, TV show, you kind of screwed yourself. Mm. Like, <laughs> how are you going to do, like, all these other important Daredevil stories without, without Ben? Because he is... Like, he's just as important as Foggy, you know, mm-hmm. to, to being a supporting character. He comes in and out of the title more than Foggy. Foggy's, like, almost always there. Right. Um, but Ben is, like, the number three, really, main character of Daredevil. And so in this, you've got... Um, uh, ben is working on this um, article to expose a guy named Randolph Cherry, who is running for mayor and is backed by the Kingpin. And the Kingpin has hired Elektra to um, intimidate Ben and get the story spiked, you know, in journalism terms uh, to have it, you know, killed before it can run. Um, And it also refers to how many people get stabbed by her sigh in this story. Um, Yeah. And so it's this really cool, it's all from Ben's perspective. He is the uh, narrator of the whole thing. And Miller has like a really good grasp on his voice too, because he sounds very different from every other character in this. He sounds like a a terse, hard bitten reporter. Um, even his um, his text his his thought boxes his um, his uh, monologue boxes are done in a different style. They're done in a more of a typeface than than mm-hmm. the other ones, and they're in this um, purplish uh, red box. And so it's just, it's such a great moody noir journalism uh, story. And it opens with um, Ben meeting uh, his informant at a grungy theater and the guy getting stabbed from behind. And they do the, the, the shirt thing, the shirt poke out. Oh, um, yeah. And you, you know, for you, but yeah. And like, ugh. and it, you know, starts off in sort of this like, horror aspect and so the entire thing is told from ben's perspective and daredevil comes in and out and then it starts to weave into the kingpin story and uh vanessa who's thought dead and is missing and she's actually you know kind of lost her mind and she's wandering the streets she eventually gets pulled into the underground with a inverse a sewer dwelling kingpin at a different issue which is so weird um yeah. but that doesn't happen here and um <laughs> it's so it's so great because it's just this the Dare, the Miller's Daredevil is already very moody, um, but it's moody in like an '80s superhero way. But this mm. like pushes way into that grimy, gritty noir aspect that a lot of people think of with Daredevil now. Right. Like, just the tone is really influential, and you know, there's also this running thing of 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 Ben smoking and coughing, and he's so like hooked on his cigarettes, and he's like, ah, damn cigarettes, like they'll be the death of me. And then at the very end, he's taking these photos and Elektra beats Daredevil in combat, catches his foot in a bear trap and like knocks him out. And then um, he starts coughing as he's taking photos and she sees him and he starts to run away. And he's, he says, you know, lousy cigarettes. And you see this, you know, really fast close up on him. And wow. she, she spikes him with the sigh in the back. 
And that's, that's how the issue ends. That's the that's end of the issue. That's crazy. So I don't know if you've ever read that one before. I'm definitely going to now. But like that's so just like from how you're describing it, just it sound it sounds like just such a perfect like one-off issue. Like it's a complete story from start to finish. Like the foreshadowing with the smoking and everything. Like, and I mean, Dare Electra at this point because this is like you said smack dab in the middle of the Electra saga. This is as scary I think for me at least as a reader. Like this is the scariest she gets when she's like still kind of on. I think she's still on Kingpin's payroll. For yeah, she's just started. She's yeah. just started to be on Kingpin's payroll. And that leads up like right to her death. Really, it's, right? It's her on and yeah. But um, it's great. It's so good. And I was, I you know, I remembered reading this one a while ago and really loving it. And it's standing out from the whole Miller saga. Mm-hmm. So I was rereading it. Um, and I don't know if this will come out before my first video for December, but my first video is on the Electra saga. And so um, this one really stood out to me again. I was like, like, hell yeah, like this has got to be in there. Because there's sure. a lot of, there's, Basically, every Miller Jansen uh, Daredevil story when Miller's writing is is killer. Like it's it's an A or an A minus or an A plus. <laughs> they're they're all great. Um, yeah. But I love the the conciseness and the focus and the style of this one. It's 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 so great. I it's hard to exactly put into words, but I again the the perspective and Ben's got such a great voice and he's got such a great voice for him here. And he, you know, brings that back in uh, Born Again, um, mm-hmm. you know, where Ben's uh, narration is threaded throughout the entire book, yeah. um, whereas here it's just for this issue. And he, you know, Miller kind of jumps around in perspectives for the run. There's a lot told from Daredevil's perspective with, you know, uh, voiceover in, in the boxes or omniscient, you know, perspective in the boxes. But then right. sometimes you get... You know, you get Yurik here or you get Bullseye in uh, Last Hand, um, mm. uh, which is the Death of Electra issue. And that's I totally forgot until I reread it that it's totally from Bullseye's perspective, which is really messed up. Oh, really? I God, I haven't read that in forever. Yeah, the 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 it's it's one of my honorable mentions, which we'll we'll talk about. But um, yes, absolutely. It's hard to te- it's hard to leave that off the list because uh, mm-hmm. it's so it's so important. But it's it's a really great issue. Um, but the entire thing is from Bullseye's perspective. You know, he's in prison at the start and he escapes, and then you know, even the fight against Electra is from his perspective, and the fight against Daredevils from his perspective. It's all that and like puts you in his like psychotic mind, which is what um, Miller did in his first bullseye issue which is the one where he's seeing everyone as daredevil mm-hmm. he's hallucinating yes. and everyone is daredevil so he starts just murdering like all these random innocent civilians it's super dark is that um, um sinkovich no no that's also miller and jansen no that's right okay yeah bullseye is just it's so funny when he was announced for season three of the daredevil show i i cannot tell you how many people were just up in our, they're like, this is the greatest thing. We have been waiting for him to show up. Um, you know, it, it, it was no Colin Farrell bullseye, but I mean, I think they, they did all right. I like, I like Colin Farrell as bullseye, actually. I think he's probably the best thing about that movie. 
I think my favorite part is just how Irish he is. Yeah, he's super. Like, he's ridiculously Irish, which he, like, at least to that extent, has never been in the comics. Right. He's very ambiguous. His background and everything, he just seemed... To me, I always read him as, like, as a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of hear, have that voice for him in, his, in, in my mind when I'm reading him. Right. Um, but, you know, he's re- like most of his backstory is is ambiguous in the comics until I think they've added mm-hmm. some stuff in recent years. But most of it is like, I don't even know who this guy is. Like, it doesn't <laughs> even matter. He's just some psycho. Yeah. Who and, just like is very good at killing people. Yes. And Bullseye Bullseye to me is one of those characters that like you love to hate him. Like mm-hmm. you absolutely love to hate him. Like when he shows up in a comic, you're like, oh, my God, this guy like, you know, something terrible is going to happen. <laughs> A, a, an established character is probably going to die mm-hmm. no matter where, if it's in, you know, if it's in a daredevil comic and he's killed a lot of characters over the years, or if it's just showing up in like an Avengers comic or when he was in like dark Avengers, you know, he murdered so many people in <sighs> yeah. that. Oh my God. Uh, but he's such a great iconic character. And, and, you know, I think that he was really like polished by Miller also in his run really mm-hmm. made him stand out in that. Um, but yeah, so uh, Spikes uh, 179 uh, is my first pick. Yeah, that's that's really because I we we shared our lists prior to the recording getting on here. And that was the one that I wasn't able to read prior. But man, that sound and just what I really like about Miller and Jansen's run is that it feels like each of those because sometimes you'll read. Uh, certain comics runs and you could tell oh they are very focused on their lead character and everyone is just kind of tertiary where for Miller and Jansen they really took their time to make you care about each character in that corner of New York like there's no person that they don't like give at least some kind of pathos to yeah everyone's got something they really knock down a lot of the extraneous characters and, and really focus in but if you're in if you're a character in that circle, like you're going to get some attention for sure. For sure. Well, and that will bring us to um, my first pick, which is another bullseye or, well, it's a Frank, another Frank Miller book, which is uh, daredevil 191, which uh, is both written and illustrated by Frank Miller. And this is entitled roulette. This is one of, I think the darkest Daredevil stories I've ever read. And it was when we were talking about making up this list and everything, I was like, this has to be on my list. Like I, I kind of ascribe to, I really enjoy the more uh, lighthearted swashbuckling uh, Daredevil, which will become very apparent when it comes to some of my picks. But um, I, I can absolutely appreciate these darker stories. And for some context as well post uh basically post bullseye killing uh electra daredevil has this big you know dust up with him at the top of a building and then more or less he drops him off of that building it's very like oh no he slipped and daredevil didn't catch him in the same way that like jason todd just watched a drug dealer slip out of a window and fall to his death like it's honestly like, i I think it's more purposeful. I always read it as Agreed. like pretty purposeful. Like Bullseye is is trying to stab his hand. And he's like, "Nope, you're never gonna hurt anyone ever again." Just drops him. That's an that's yeah. an amazing two pages. The super long vertical mm-hmm. columns that show the height of their their battle. Oh my gosh! But 
keep going. Yeah, no, ju- just, yeah, you're absolutely right. But this is kind of the first big follow-up to that story. You know, uh, post-Bullseye being dropped off a building, just like I think anyone else would be, he's in a coma, and Daredevil comes to visit him. And it's this beautiful... Uh, just the writing here is something that I absolutely adore because this is all Daredevil's, uh, basically a giant Daredevil monologue for the uh, for the present day stuff. Bullseye is sitting in this hospital bed. He is hooked up. He cannot move his body whatsoever. And Daredevil is just sitting next to him in costume with this pistol. And he is doing the old Russian roulette where it's, you know, you, you've got one bullet in the chamber and you're spinning the chamber. You click once for you, you know, you, um, you survive, you click once for them, and you keep going until you get to that bullet. And so he's basically telling him this story the entire time about this kid named Chucky Jurgens, who is this kid who was just obsessed with Daredevil. And he kind of runs into him while he is... Uh, working on building up a case for his father, who is more or less being sued for extortion and all this different money laundering. And what Matt really keys into after meeting Chucky Jurgens is how he he might have some kind of um, psychological issues because he believes that he is Daredevil. He's so uh, neck deep into his hero worship that he believes that he's Daredevil and he'll go up to, you know, he'll run up to uh, a girl on the playground and be like, you're Black Widow. You know, you don't remember because they wiped your mind, but you're Black Widow and we got to get out of here. And so Matt, like, basically, like, keys into really quickly, like, this kid's got issues, but he is so used to things going wrong in his life that initially he's like, this kid really loves me, man. That's really cool. So he like pals around with him. He's like, Hey, you know, we're, we're buddies, we're friends. And this unfortunately kind of furthers, uh, Chucky's psychosis where he, you know, follows his dad to basically this, um, this blackmailing deal in a park and it results in, um, Daredevil beating up his dad because he is, a very crooked man and much like most of the people that Nelson and Murdoch unfortunately have to defend and uh what Chucky takes away from this because not only does he worship Daredevil he's also very he holds his father in high regard even though his father's not a good dude and not a very great father and following this he basically you know something cracks something breaks inside of him to the point that he's watching the uh, the footage from my I, I want to say it's Daredevil 173 it's it's where they it's where Daredevil fights Bullseye in the um the uh TV studio yes i think that's yeah I, in the TV studio i think is 170 i think it's 170 because yeah. I think because King, Kingpin is one seventy one to one seventy three. Thanks. So I think it's one seventy. Right. Absolutely. <clears throat> so see, this is this is why Matt Draper is is the daredevil is the daredevil of all of our lives. Um, so anyway, uh, Matt is telling the story, and he's basically like, you know, Chucky was at school following all of this, and some kids, you know, were making fun of him. I don't know how he got this gun, but he went and shot a kid, and it's like very quickly gets inc- even darker than it was already with two men sitting in a hospital room playing Russian roulette. And 
basically this also uh you know it touches on matt's you know self-loathing it touches on his catholic guilt it touches on the um ideas behind um what is a good father what is a bad father he talks about how his father would you know he really just like chucky did holds his father in such high regard and he kind of pushes down all of like the bad stuff which i mean granted is few and far between but alongside being what i would consider a fairly good father jack murdoch was also a bit of a drunk as well <laughs> yeah he wasn't um, perfect so and basically he um he hit matt one night and there was a like there's a whole i want to look this up i'm looking through this here um basically after his father kind of like hits him in this drunken like state he uh he says i spent the night perched on the brooklyn bridge thinking thinking about right and wrong and how even my father could do bad things how even dad needed rules to obey rules laws by morning the course of my professional life was set i would become an attorney and basically like following this like you get all of this context for why he's doing this to bullseye he's telling him this story he's basically telling him like that's really like all of this everything that i'm telling you uh it comes down to what's right and what's wrong and what i know to be right is to make sure that you don't hurt anyone else and this the final two pages are just like they're gorgeous because it's just this slow zoom in on bullseye as uh daredevil's got the gun up to his face and he's like talking about how sweet the smell is of his fear and all this stuff and it's getting to this point like he is really gonna off this guy he's you know he's gone off the deep end this is like his final act as daredevil and then when it gets right up to the end it says when it comes to that one final fatal act of ending you you hear the click and he says, my gun has no bullets. Guess we're stuck with each other, Bullseye. And I just, I remember, re I remember reading this the first time. And like, this was the issue where I was like, oh, I get it. Oh, I get why people love Frank Miller Daredevil. Like, because I mean, I've, I've always had kind of a, uh, a love-hate relationship with Frank Miller as a creator. You know, they're, yeah, there are things that I really, really love from him. And then there's Superman Year One, and I just can never forgive him for that. Oh, gosh. But, the, like... Immediately forgotten, so you don't even have to forgive him. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Um, but this issue really, it dives into not just what makes a man, what makes a hero, what makes a father, but what makes Daredevil Daredevil. And a lot of... Um, I think a lot of, uh, for years at this point, people have made a lot of parallels, a lot of comparisons between Daredevil and Batman. And this was like, I mean, they're both, you know, more or less defined by their Frank Miller runs. But like, this was really the moment where I was like, oh, okay, I get it. This is where like, I see the comparison officially. And it's such a great character study on Daredevil having gone through all of this hardship bullseye has ruined his life multiple times at this point and he still can't bring himself to kill him so that is uh that is that is my pick it's such my a great pick. issue yeah such a great issue and, and it's the end it's the end of miller's run yeah um and it's interesting because it comes right after 190 which is resurrection which is mm -hmm. a lot more hopeful of an issue it ends it, it <laughs> 
it 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 takes all of the Electra saga. It's like that's the official end of the Electra saga, and it ends it on a lot more hopeful issue, like hopeful notes of like Electra's you know purification as a person. You're not sure if she's alive again or not, but in either way, like she's in a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wraps up everything. But then yeah, you get this final one, and it's really a statement on like almost the impotence of superheroes. Yeah, you know, because of after everything, like he my gun has no bullets like what can i really do like in the mm-hmm. end like how much can i what how much can i really do if, if i am to be like a superhero right I can't, I can't kill this guy you know i can't stop all these things is my influence actually for the worse it's a really interesting note for miller to like end his entire run on to like sort of comment on all like the most um possibly toxic ideas of, of superheroes and what they mean for people. If, you know, if the little right. kid is standing in for us as like people, you know, mm. how are we influenced by it. So it's really interesting. And yeah, you were talking about the art is so amazing. Um, so good. The, um, you know, there's this thing throughout Miller's run, which is at it really pivotal moments of action or realization. Um, the background will and color will drop out of a panel and it'll just be the, the lone figure, you know, in this stark white, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's like when, you know, bullseye kills Electra. There's just this, you know, yeah. red spray right there. Or Iconic. There's, yeah. And so like it drops it out. But the entire um, hospital scene with him playing roulette, it's all white, right? Yep. It's all just blank white, except for... Um, at the very end is like it's all black at the end mm-hmm. um and then there's just like that harsh um like venetian blinds shading also yes he thought, which he which miller <laughs> loves he just loves he that absolutely stuff. does <laughs> um, and he's really going hard with like the hatching like his art style is, has definitely progressed as he's come back you know to be the penciler mm-hmm. um it's it's like this really intense like hatching on the faces and everything. It's so yeah, cool. It was, it was almost like Romita Junior levels of hatching. Oh yeah, yeah. It, without the without the really super angular take. Right? But, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I like Romita Junior, but um, you know he gets a little carried away with his yeah. his angles. But I, I go so back good. and forth on him. Yeah, yeah. It. I think I think his sweet spot is like late 80s to through 90s i think mm-hmm. i'm not a huge fan of him now but then when he really came into his style sure. after he stopped drawing just like his dad and he did mm-hmm. his own thing like i'm like this is sweet like his innocenti daredevil run or his x-men run yes. in the late 80s and like man without fear is like this is this is good or i i really like his spider-man stuff too but mm-hmm. that's just my opinion that's my absolutely one of my hotter hotter comic book takes is jr jr is good <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait for people to come after you for this. Uh, <laughs> it's fine, well, I'm going to mark these down in the uh, in the description for this. Every time Matt has a uh, hot take, I'll put a timestamp <laughs> and we'll just go through it. Yeah. Oh man, no context, <laughs> only hot takes. Uh, but yeah, no. So, what if- yeah, it's it's really. Like I said, I normally gravitate towards the more fun Daredevil stories, but when you are looking for a dark, deep, heavy Daredevil story, this one hits the spot right away. So what is your what is your second entry on our top fives? I'm going to do a big leap just for fun. I'm going to do a Ready. big time leap to my newest entry, uh, which is, uh, it's let me get the number right, it's Daredevil Volume 6, Number 4, 
which is No Fear Part 4 by Chip Zdarsky and uh, Marco Cicchetto. And this, it's current ongoing Daredevil run, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. This is great stuff. Like, I just from the first the the first issue like i'm like i'm all in this is amazing um so (laughs) issue number four is specifically a punisher issue so for a little context uh, zadarsky's daredevil picks up after the aftermath of charles soul's uh is it soul or soleil i always forget Um, i you know i've gone back and forth i i normally do soul yeah um, but either way, we'll say Soul. After Charles Soul's run, <laughs> where uh, Matt nearly dies at the end, he had, mm-hmm. he and then he comes back after this near death experience. That's like the very end of the run, and so this finds him like newly back on the street as Daredevil. And this some spoilers here, but this happens right away. He accidentally kills a thief. He he drops in to stop these two guys from like robbing like a bodega or something. And he's clearly not back up to 100% because he's still on like painkillers and he's still like kind of like has some lingering injuries because I, th- I forget exactly what his injury was, but he, he, he nearly died. Yeah, it was, it was like a he got like hit by a car or something. I don't know. It, it was something very like, really? Yeah. And like the final <laughs> the final arc of that is all like in his head or something. Like, yeah, that that run. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but um, so. He, you know, accidentally kills this guy, doesn't realize that he's done it at first. Then the cops come down hard on him and they're going after Daredevil um, and they nearly catch him. And um, then right as the police are about to take him in, the end of issue three, Frank Castle, the Punisher, shows up. Yeah. Starts shooting at the police to get them to run, saves him and brings him back and is like, um, at the end of issue three... You know, Daredevil wakes up and he's all bloodied and bandaged. Uh, and Frank says, uh, you've seen the light. Yeah. So he's oh. convinced that Daredevil has started killing criminals. And so Daredevil and the Punisher have like a really long comic book history. And I think it's a really fascinating uh, relationship between the two characters. because Absolutely. Because... The Punisher kind of likes Daredevil, but he also thinks like he's just not doing a good enough job, like that he should be killing criminals. And of course, Daredevil like absolutely hates the Punisher. Like he hates the guy. He doesn't respect him. He doesn't like him. He doesn't get along with him. Sometimes they have to team up. But if Daredevil has a chance, he will like destroy the Punisher and try and take him in. Um, But, you know, there's been a lot of interesting stories between them. I think the first Daredevil Punisher story was um, Miller. Uh, was Miller and Jansen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first time they collide, which is a really good story. Um, uh, it's a two-parter, and that's when you kind of get their initial dynamic, and then they kind of run into each other every so often. There's a Innocenti uh, issue with the Punisher, um, where like Daredevil just destroys him in a fight, <laughs> which is actually very satisfying because I am not a Punisher fan. No, but I like I'm not interested in his comics. I'm not really into him. Um, although I did like the Netflix series, especially sure. the first the first season, especially mm-hmm. um, when they knew what they were doing, because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that second season is a whole bunch of nothing. And um, cannot wait to hear you talk about that for December. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that'll be interesting. Uh, and so the um, 
it's always interesting when they collide because they always because every author has a different take on their dynamic and has a different thing to say and like it's um why am i blanking on it's ennis garth ennis's punisher Mm -hmm. is when uh daredevil shows up also and that's when like he gets chained to the chimney and has the gun duct taped to his hand and punisher's trying to prove him to be like impotent um and like daredevil comes off really poorly in that because ennis is the type of guy ennis is the type of guy that's like if you're not my protagonist you're stupid and i hate you (laughs) like that is the general thing like and it's not it's really why i don't like ennis all that much yeah and especially that's in punisher max or no that's Mm -hmm. not that's punisher marvel knights sorry he shows up in punisher marvel knights which is very satirical and and it does eventually like develop into max as well yeah but max is a lot more like dark and gritty and 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 marvel knights is like basically like taking a piss on like all of marvel you know he really (laughs) doesn't like superheroes um so it just depends on like who shows you know who's showing up and whose title Mm -hmm. Uh, and so this issue you know we start off with daredevil at the start of issue four he's really beat up and Punisher, it's it's this new wrinkle suddenly to their relationship. It's still a mistake, but Punisher thinks like, oh, like you're starting to kill criminals. Like you know, killing a killing a a, a, a bodega thief is is you know not really my thing. But you know, I can see where you're going. Like you, you you know you're on my side now. Like you finally get it. I find I've I've always wanted you to be on my side. And Matt is just so furious with him. Like he's like, I am not like you at all. Like. And this first arc is really him in denial of the fact that he made a mistake and, like, he killed the guy. He, like, hit him, and the guy fell back and, like, hit his head against a wall and then died from, like, the contusion. So, you know, he didn't beat him on the ground personally. It was a complete accident. Um, But you get where he's coming from. And then uh, Frank has this other criminal, you know, tied up in his basement with him, as he's often done. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, he's like, oh, you want to kill this guy or I'll kill him in front of you. And then he basically like, you know, Daredevil's like, let him go. And he lets him go. And the guy grabs a gun. And then Frank just, you know, shoots this this criminal like in the head. Obviously, Daredevil blows up. Finally, like he's handcuffed to like a gurney, like a medical gurney, busts out of it. And they just go to war with each other for, for quite a few pages. Um, but what's interesting is that like this shows that the Punisher will never, like, be on Daredevil's level as, like, a combatant. Like, he handled, like, Daredevil handles him very fast. Shoots him in the Kevlar, shoots him, like, four times, like, in the grazing of his hand, his shoulder, his leg, his neck. And um, then he's like, (laughs) this is a really great line. So Frank is there, unarmed, and uh, Matt has two pistols on him. And he says, "Um, do you have any idea, any idea at all what I can do the level of carnage I could unleash with a gun in my hand, the number of dead if I decide to be like you, it's no contest, Frank. You're amateur hour. You're a demon, sure, but I'm the devil. And double shot blasts like uh, two explosives on either side and like blows up the the base and then just destroys Punisher and like drops him off for the cops, you know? And at the very end, he realizes, like, the owl, this villain, you know, drug kingpin, is, like, having the shipment come in, and he needs to go fight him immediately. And he's taken the Punisher's shirt, because he doesn't have a shirt (laughs) right now. And the very end, it says, time to go to work. And you've got Daredevil, you know, stepping out with a Punisher shirt on. And you're like, what is 
Matt Murdock becoming? Mm-hmm. Like, what you know lines has he crossed? Like, is he becoming the Punisher? Because he may not have wanted to kill the guy, but is he now on this path? And it's really, really fascinating. And I think the next issue, you realize that he doesn't even know that the Punisher wears a skull on his shirt. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, like, how would he know? Yeah, th- those are those are some of my favorite gags. Like, they did that in the um, the Matthew Rosenberg Hawkeye Freefall, where, um, spoilers for this comic, um, Hawkeye takes up the Ronin identity again. And this is happening concurrently with this run and um matt shows up and he's like clint i need your help and clint is like in his ronin costume and he's like oh my god he's gonna know he knows i'm ronin and like he's just talking to him normally and clint's like (laughs) wait a second can he not does he not see what i'm is he blind and it's just this wonderful little moment like little sight gags like that no pun intended are just like I haven't read Free Fall. I, I still it's need to so good. Okay, it's so good. You you want to talk about just a completely like fall from grace for mm-hmm. a character who is so flawed? Mm-hmm. Hawkeye Free Fall is incredible. Okay, I'll have to check. Really, it out. really big fan of that. Um, but yeah, that it's it's so funny because Matt was telling me this um, earlier today. We were talking about it. Uh, the first, I think you said the first five issues initially weren't part of his run. Right. Like he pitched them when, you know, they were asking for, for writers to pitch for Daredevil. Zadarsky pitched a story that starts at issue six mm-hmm. of this run. And the first five weren't even part of that pitch. Like yeah. when and then when he started to, to get his ideas together and, and start writing, he, he realized he needed to write these first five issues because I think he wanted to just start, you know, because at the end of issue five, he totally gives up being daredevil Mm -hmm. okay i'm not daredevil anymore so that really sets you on like the major course so i could see it starting there where like after everything that he's gone through he's not daredevil anymore yeah but this like like it would be strange if matt murdoch you know had this life endangering injury and decides you know that he's completely disillusioned with being daredevil and isn't going to do it anymore like of course Mm -hmm. he'd jump back in like he's the most self-destructive person on the planet like (laughs) and and his self-destruction is you know used for good through his superheroism he can't um unlink the two so of course he would try and like jump back in of course he'd be like okay i'm back in the costume let's do this thing and this is all about that like no you you are not ready for this and this is a huge part of it and it like i said it's a great um standalone story too which again is like the major part of all these comics we're picking right Absolutely. like this is why the, these are the individual issues that we're picking mm-hmm. um but um it's so good within the whole context of that too because it is matt's denial of what he's done and how wrong he is and to to suddenly like have the punisher be like you're great i love what you're doing it's like <laughs> the worst so possible much. thing that could happen yeah, he's just like, yeah, we're we're on the same team. I've been waiting for you, buddy. Let's go out and kill some people. Like it's like you were saying, like they've had such a sordid history, and for Frank, for even just because Frank also has just a lot of issues, for him to just believe even for one second, like, oh my god, this guy who I've been you know diametrically opposed to for basically our entire careers all of a sudden made this switch overnight and now we're going to be best buddies. Like, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. There's some 
dark humor throughout the run, which is it's the Darsky. And this is definitely like mm. the darkest stuff that he writes. Yeah. Like he's he was primarily known as being like a, a funny book writer, you know, before yeah. this to some degree, with varying levels of dark comedy too, but like mm. Sex Criminals and Howard the Duck and you know, I mean he even the, uh, yeah. Spectacular Spider Man too. Spectacular Spider Man, like stuff like that. Like it is lighter, it has touches of darkness, but this is primarily dark. But man, this run is so good. It's crazy good. And like the you telling me like the first five issues weren't initially part of the pitch just blew my mind because they they inform everything throughout this run. And I love it so much. And I'll just piggyback off that and go to my next pick, which is also part of this run. Um, it's actually issue number 19 entitled Inferno by the same creative team. Um I also I want to give a quick aside to uh, I think it's Jorge George Fornes. Um, uh, Jorge, I think. Jorge. Okay, so Jorge Fornes has also done several issues during this run and has been incredibly great. They have just every artist to varying degrees has kind of knocked it out of the park, but. Chichetto was really like he's keyed into exactly what Zdarsky is trying to accomplish with this book and uh, issue 19 is just everything going to hell like they uh, another thing that uh, we should probably mention for this run is the introduction of the Stromwinds who are just like the kingpin above all kingpins like they run they basically run the kingpin style um mafia you know um crime syndicate but like worldwide they are like a tier above which makes like any time that they interact with kingpin is just so like oh you're so cute you think you have power and it's been a really it's been a really great dynamic because both matt and wilson are on this kind of collision course against the stromwinds throughout this entire run there's an issue i almost made it part of my honorable mentions where kingpin accidentally kills someone in one of their bathrooms it's so like oh it's it's incredible but this issue specifically inferno um everything's gone to hell the stromwinds have caused a media blackout in hell's kitchen they have taken control of the police who have been told to stay away from hell's kitchen and they have used a mercenary group comprised of people like bullseye bullet and stilt man to raise hell's kitchen to the ground for essentially like stepping out of line and Daredevil, who still isn't Daredevil at this point, is trying to make his way back there with, oh my god, I'm Aaron Cash. It's Aaron Cash. Right? Aaron, uh, no, Cole. It's Cole. Cole. Right? Where did I get Aaron Cash? Aaron Cash is the uh, Arkham guard. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, with Cole, and they're making their way back. They had just like, gotten to the point where like we're on the same page for now. Yeah. Uh, Cole's such a good character. He's a fantastic character. And what they've really done here is they've established that Daredevil is more than just Matt Murdock. He is an idea. He is, you know, a, a symbol. And as a symbol, he can be everlasting to pull from a well-known comic book film. Like, as all of this is going on and Matt and uh, Cole are making their way back to Hell's Kitchen, you get to see kind of on the ground level what's happening inside there. And that's basically that the villains are just raining down bullets and fire and hell on top of these people. Yeah. And one of the people you you come to find out during this time across this run, there are different characters who try to take up 
you know, the daredevil mantle while Matt is kind of figuring out what's going to happen to him. And one of the characters is Hector. Hector is fantastic. He is this just tertiary character in any other story, but because uh, Matt, you know, essentially goes on uh, on holiday for a little bit, he takes it upon himself to, you know, fashion himself a little mask. And he's basically, if you've seen any art of like Daredevil with a little, with a little goatee, that's Hector. And as this is all going on, these villains are like running through these neighborhoods, just gunning down people indiscriminately and burning buildings. Um, Hector pulls on his mask. He's like, at this point, I think he had like put it away to focus on taking care of his father. And he's like, I have to do this. I have to go out there. And Hector ends up picking a fight with Bullseye. And one of my favorite moments of this is Bullseye seeing him for the first time. And he's like, a daredevil. I love killing daredevils. And it's just like, oh, no, you have no idea what you're doing, man. Like, run away from there. And then meanwhile, while all of this is happening, throughout this run, there's been this really subtle subplot of i believe it's i believe she's referred to as sister elizabeth right yeah during you know being you know at the at the church that matt frequents and during this moment when everything's going to hell you know rhino shows up and he's like i'm gonna give you like five minutes and i'm gonna tear down this building um sister elizabeth starts to have kind of a breakdown as she like is looking for answers while people are holed up in the church and it is revealed that sister elizabeth is actually typhoid mary crazy now i just yeah like just i i can't remember the last time i've seen her comics wise like she showed up i believe in iron fist the netflix iron fist but like yeah yeah i i couldn't remember the last time i like saw her in a comic been a while i think unless she's shown up in some event or team book where she's not super important but she hasn't been in daredevil for a while yeah and her showing up there with her history with that nocenti run that you mentioned like and he's also done an incredible video on that nocenti run like i i was blown away i was like on top of all of this craziness that's going on you're gonna bring in typhoid mary and add her to the equation it's ridiculous but um, as Bullseye is wont to do, he ends up stabbing Hector and basically killing him just as Matt gets on the scene. There's this great little moment where him and Cole are in the car and they are stopped by Stiltman. And Stiltman has never been more terrifying than he is in this two-issue arc. Um, issues 19 and 20. He is ter- legitimately terrifying. Like, he is a real threat. And... You get to see uh, Matt just kind of at his best again. He is working off of instinct. He is able to get into the situation just as Hector goes down. And he finds Hector, and Hector's like, you know, I, I tried, I tried. And it's incredibly sad because you realize through this issue, like, Daredevil has become the symbol for Hell's Kitchen. You see at least half a dozen other members of the Hell's Kitchen, like with their own makeshift Daredevil masks, using the symbol of Daredevil that he believes he irreparably damaged by killing that guy, by accidentally killing that guy in issue one. He he believes, you know, the Daredevil image is tarnished, like it's done. These people have essentially reclaimed it and turned it into this thing like Daredevil is Hell's Kitchen. And 
they are helping people. They're getting people to safety. And it's this magical moment. And I'm, I have a really like special connection with this book. Cause I, I don't know about you. When I read comics, I listen, I like to listen to music in the background. Sometimes I do. Yeah. And there is this incredible, um, instrumental track. It's called, um, uh, he films the clouds part two by this band. Maybe she will. And it's this just beautiful, like moving music. And right as like the crescendo hits, um, Matt is like laying Hector down and kind of pulling off his mask and bullseye comes up behind him because he sees another guy and he's just like, Oh sweet. All these fake daredevils. And he throws this knife at him and dare and Matt just like catches it. And it's this great reveal. Cause you just see his hand and then the page turn reveal. He's like, not fake, just daredevil. And it like the music hit the crescendo. And I was like, Oh, I am misty eyed. Like he is finally after 19 issues realized that he is daredevil Mm -hmm. and it's this incredibly empowering moment and the following issue is incredible i'm not going to talk about it because we got to go single issues here but like this is a great issue for watching matt struggle with not just his identity but what that identity means to the community that he serves and it's it's an incredible case study on that yeah, I loved it. Um, I'm a trade waiter, so I didn't read this until like fairly recently. And I'd heard something about Typhoid Mary coming back, but her reveal as Elizabeth was like, oh, I didn't see that coming at all. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. know that was what was happening. And the, the reveal of all the candles lighting on their own, boom, 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 yeah. boom, 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 like, because she's she has pyrokinesis. Um, it was a really cool way to reveal that character and then her teaming up. Um, I really liked... Um, the whole the the various makeshift masks that uh, Matt went through. Yeah, I'm gonna tie the shirt around my face, or I'm just gonna throw <laughs> this on, or oh, okay, I've got a little bit more of a tactical outfit, or oh, I'm just you know in my suit, you know, I'm just gonna toss this on my face real fast. And with his like longer hair like popping out from the back, I was like, mm-hmm. that's such a cool look, especially with Chichetta. Yeah. I was like, that's so cool. And I know it's it's important to get him back in the costume, but I was like. This is how, like, you do Daredevil not being Daredevil, but still make it mean everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it was interesting to have all these, like, makeshift Daredevils kind of bubbling in the background to, like, lead up to this moment. Um, and, yeah, I love this issue. The, the climax of, of him putting the Daredevil mask back on, like, is so earned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Stilt Man it was terrifying. He's got, like, the four, like, tentacle-like kind of, yeah. like, bendy things. And he's dropping bombs, and yeah, you've got what him. You were saying him, bullseye, bullet, rhino, and uh, 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 crossbones. crossbones. Crossbones, yes. And like, it's such an interesting eclectic mix of like uh, B, C level villains uh, yeah. for him to take on, but still like a really legitimate threat. Absolutely. And the way that, to to dip into issue twenty a bit for the way <laughs> that he fights them at the end. Oh. That, like, the entire thing is, like, Matt, you are called to be better than you are, mm-hmm. uh, is, like, oh, my God, it Ugh, works yeah. so well. Because he's, like, I like I have to time this. I have to be perfect. I have to, like, work this out in my head perfectly. And, like, the way when he, like, he gags Rhino on, like, the butt yep. of a knife. And, like, he's, like, in, like, one more minute, he's going to have brain damage. Like, I need to get back there. Like, all that stuff is, like, it's so incredible. Like, it's all been building up to that. Because um, so much of Zdarsky's run is like the two like two dueling themes I think which is um institutional corruption 
mm-hmm. what you're talking about with like the strong winds and the way that they infect like the police yeah. and business and social media and like everything in this institutional corruption, which is really potent. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going beyond like we're getting past the issue of the fascistic idea of like superheroes beating up on like desperate criminals, you yeah. know, people that don't like that are forced into crime because like life is really rough. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting into these bigger ideas like institutional corruption and the way that that yeah. effect that trickles down um, either intentionally or not intentionally. And then we're also getting into um, this whole idea of, of being called to be better. And like yep. this whole, like it's that it's not good enough to just beat up people. Like mm-hmm. what are you really serving? And like, what are you trying to do? Exactly. Um, so good and like this is like kind of the climax a bit of like what the first 20 issues are but of course it leads into the hook of what's about to happen after not to spoil anything yeah but i'm very interested to see where everything goes agreed Um, i think it's it's gonna it's it's already a super fascinating run yeah we, we put two issues on our list like this is incredible stuff yeah and a lot of people like I have been kind of waiting for that, like, because I I am a diehard Wade Samney run guy. And, you know, before that, kind of post that, I was really looking for that run of Daredevil that really hooked me again. And even though this is a vastly different tone, both stylistically when it comes to the art as well as the narrative of the story, very just like night and day from the Wade and Samney run, this feels like that kind of understanding of the character and the art is gorgeous it's so so good um i've been a fan of chichetto you know across a few different books but this is probably my favorite work that he's done he makes every single character dynamic he makes every single action set piece dynamic it is yeah sometimes it's very hard to do that (laughs) yeah it really is how many how many different ways can you show a superhero fight yeah Oh man, but he he finds a way and it's incredible to watch him work in that kind of um in that bubble with all these characters. Well, it's so interesting because um you know, he doesn't really rely a lot on like showing uh Matt's radar sense. Mm-hmm. Um there's not a lot like it's interesting because Daredevil being this blind character who has all these extraordinary senses and the radar sense too is like every artist and every writer can depict it in different ways and how right. in tune with his environment is he really like in Wade's in, in Zdarsky's run, um, Matt is like completely in tune. Like yep. there's the point when he's fighting uh, Cole, uh, Cole North, his full name. We, we should put Cole that on Cole North. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he's on the ground face first. And he's like, what they don't realize is that I might as well like have eyes in the back of my head. Like he's like, if you're behind me, you're not really behind me. Like he's in, like they talk about it and he's just, they show it a little bit, but he's in tune hundred percent with everything, every sight and smell and touch and taste and sound in and, every direction, and every direction, everywhere in, you know, for blocks and blocks around. Um, and really it's about him, like using that to like his greatest degree, like really, like really taking that to the next level. And like, not just like, being like, oh, I'm a superhero, like, I can do a ton of stuff, but it's like, how much further can you really push yourself? You need to push yourself further to be, like, as accountable as you say you... you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then some are, like, like, they really, like, heighten the, um, the sort of the limitations of Matt, too. Right. Like, um, we'll talk about it in a little bit, one of the honorable mentions, but, like, sometimes he's 
really like quite lost if he's mm-hmm. not in an area that he knows. He knows t- Hell's Kitchen, of course, most of New York, so he's totally fine there. But if you put him in a different surrounding, like how you know how lost is the guy really? Which is super interesting because I think that yeah. really ties into the way Chetto displays like his action. Getting back to what you're talking about, is you don't need to see what it looks like in in Matt's mind because he's totally in tune. Mm-hmm. Like he's 100% in tune. He is a master of his surroundings so right you don't need to think about his limitations that way yeah exactly and it's all you need to see is like the results of it and that's as exciting as it as it could be in those situations yeah but so that is that is our first two picks down what is your third pick matt i'm gonna jump just a little bit back because you did mention uh wade insomni I did. So I want to jump into that. Uh, my yes. next pick is uh, Daredevil Volume 3, number 25, Ikari. Uh, oh, so good. Oh, my gosh. So let's uh, let, I'll talk about the issue a bit, but then we should just talk about Wade, Wade and Somni's run. Yeah, just gush about it for a little bit. Um, so <laughs> this is kind of in the middle of a larger story. Um, uh, in this story, um, Matt has realized slowly over time that someone is sort of coordinating efforts against him to um, take him apart. And the whole context of Wade's run is that this comes after the really, the slide into darkness that is um, Bendis and then Brubaker and then um, Andy Diggle and then, Mm. which culminates in Shadowland, which is, Daredevil uh, breaking bad completely, being the head of the hand, possessed and by a demon, possessed by a, a demon, the beast, and being a complete villain for a short amount of time, and then dying, and then being resurrected, and then quitting being Daredevil, yeah, and basically sliding down all the way to the bottom. Well, I mean those those runs are interesting because they're all about like how much deeper down can I take Matt Murdock, <laughs> which is interesting. But eventually you scrape bottom. And Mm -hmm. Andy Diggle and Shadowland, like, scrape bottom. Um, And Wade's run is about, okay, we're going to bring him back up. You know, he's recovered, and he's found himself again, and now he's back in the light. And the entire thing of Wade and Somni's, Wade's run, well, and then Somni comes in, and they become, like, the duo for the rest of it. But there's a bunch of different artists on the first half of the first volume, because they did volume three, and then um, it was Secret Wars, right? Was it Secret Wars? That caused the volume to reset and then did volume mm. four. But um, the first half of volume three is like a bunch of different rotating artists. Uh, Javier Pulido and Marcos Martin are amazing. Paulo Rivera um, as well. Super, oh, super yeah. good. Yeah, Paulo Rivera. It's, 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 it's Rivera that starts. It's, mm-hmm. Rivera is the first one. He's the one that comes up with the new look for the radar sense. Yep. Which is sick. So cool. Yeah. That everything is, it almost looks like a, it's not 3D. It's not an actual 3D model, but it looks like a 3D model rendering where everyone is encased in um, uh, purplish pink uh, lines to outline them. Yep. Everyone is so lines cool. on lines on lines, and you see the depth and you see the pinging. Like it's the pinging of, of his radar sense. And it's something that I feel like would only, like, might only work in like a comics medium. I don't know how you would like translate that to like a live action or anything like that. But it works so well in this book. And that just gets like, this is the way we show it now, you know, and it's because it looks amazing. And it's, it's insane that no one had done that before. 
mm-hmm. um, that sometimes they don't really show what he's seeing, and they finally figured out like how to show it. Um, but the entirety of, of it is Matt Murdock denying that he has chronic depression yeah. and that he's like weighed down by all these losses. And instead, he's like, "I am just gonna fake it till I make it." Right? Yep. I am just gonna be the happy-go-lucky, swashbuckling daredevil. And the and the the comic and the stories are a lot lighter and faster and fun than what came before. And that's great because I I love that. And it's really fun to be able to get into like a really like swinging, fast, really crazy Daredevil story that hadn't been done in a long time. Um, But it's also the byproduct of a character who's in denial, um, which is so interesting because so being on the Internet and talking about Daredevil enough like I did. There's so many people that are like, Mark Wade ruined Daredevil and like (sighs) you should be dark and bleak and and that's the only way you can do it which is like no like if you look at miller's if you look at miller's run it's pretty fun like it gets dark but it's pretty fun it's just that slow like modern the modernization of the character we're gonna go we well we started kind of dark we gotta go darker now we gotta go darker 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 and like you just like stack and stack and stack which is understandable to do when the character has a certain reputation Mm-hmm. but this is it's such a fun run but it has the um the lining of darkness around it because you know Absolutely. what he's going through and you know that this isn't suddenly pretending like it didn't happen your character is pretending it didn't happen but it still happened which is just an amazing way to approach the character um mm-hmm. all to say <laughs> getting to my actual <laughs> issue um which is 25 uh so he's been targeted for a while um and this comes in the wake of Foggy Nelson's cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So Foggy's been diagnosed with cancer, and now he's in the hospital getting treatment, um, which made me very anxious for like Same. the second half of this run. Because I was worried that they were going to kill him off. And there's a, a swerve at, at the beginning of Volume 4 where you think he, he did die. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers, My heart stopped. Die. I remember yeah. reading that, and I was like, oh, oh no. did I miss an issue? Like, right. <laughs> right, this like time jump. But um, all to say, so Matt is being targeted, and this guy comes, and what you've realized, you've seen the issue before. Is it the issue before that you see it? I forget if they show it before or not. Or maybe it's just um, this one. I think they show it earlier. But there's an experimentation to try and give someone else Daredevil yes, powers. They do show that, yeah. And they're just taking prisoners, and they're, re- they're recreating the accident, and they're just dumping radioactive sludge in their faces yeah they're dying brutally but they're trying to get someone to to get the powers that daredevil had and matt finds out about this and you know by this guy that comes and says oh i survived and he leads him on and realizes it's a setup and this guy dies and uh i love this uh this panel these these panels Mm -hmm. by the way you see what's really cool is that somni uh is definitely a uh, cartoonist. His yes. art is a lot more caricatured and colorful and um, simplified. Uh, but he's got an amazing, you know, he can have everyone emote, you know, just as well as any sort of realism-focused artist. Mm-hmm. And there's this panel when he's like, when Matt is looking for what's going on around him. And, like, it's a close-up of his face split into four different panels, but not in... Um, in the same shape. They're all kind of split up differently to the 
the head and the ear and the nose and the mouth, trying to like see what's going on. Trying to sense everything. Um, And eventually he comes into contact with who you realize is the person that survived the experiment. You don't know who this person is, but he's clearly a trained fighter and he's going by the name Ikari, which means fury. And he comes... Yes. It's so good, right? It's such a great introduction, this two-page introduction of him. And it's such a great design, too. It's so cool. He is, like, he comes in wearing uh, Battle and Jack Murdoch's old boxing robe to mess with Matt. And then he's got this, like, it's it's a, it's a like a gi mixed with the old yellow and yellow costume and the red costume. And he's got a the half The best Daredevil mask. costume, yeah. The best, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I disagree. But I do like the yellow <laughs> costume. I really do. Um, but yeah, it's it's like this like ninja version of the old red and yellow, and it looks so cool. Yeah, and he's got these two like blades to fight with, and then the rest of the issue is this giant um, fight between the two, with plenty of um, uh, voiceover narration by Matt as he's trying to figure out how to fight this guy. Because now this guy has all the same powers, but he doesn't, you know, have all the experience with the powers that he does. Going across rooftops, fighting. There's a really cool flashback to his time training with Stick when he was a kid. And he's using these, you know, lessons that he learned with Stick, which is really a really great, like, additional layer of pathos. Is he's Because Stick is such a jerk. And, like, he's, the worst. He, yeah, he's the worst dude. <laughs> and so it's a great fight. And Matt is, you know, really getting worse for wear, but Ikari is like wearing down too. And they go into like a sporting goods, um, a, sport, a sporting goods store. And, you know, he's hiding from him because he knows like, I am going to like pass out in like a minute for my injury. So I need to end this now. And he likes, he, you know, starts the sprinklers to try and mess with his radar sense. Because he knows it messes with his, so he's like, oh, well, at least that'll put us on an even playing field. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's gonna, he's waiting for him to come around, and he's he's about to grab a baseball bat to fight him and try and knock him out. And he says, only one shot, still strong enough for one good shot. And he reaches toward it, and Ikari says, try the red one. And you're like, he's not blind. <laughs> oh, my, I, oh. I jumped then, out of my chair when I read that the first time. Yeah, and then Ikari just just beats him to hell with the bat and like is like, you know, we're, we're I'm not going to kill you yet because we want you to suffer, but know that there will be a time when you know my, you know, my master's going to come and he's going to he's going to kill you, and that's the end of the issue. <laughs> it's it, and again, it's such a great issue because like it it is a bright and fast and cool like Wade insomnia issue, but it has this darkness to it too. If this this is a dark issue, mm-hmm. um, and but it doesn't like wallow in the darkness, right? If this was a Bendis issue or a Brubaker <laughs> issue, you'd be like, I like, I gotta go take a shower now or something like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> well, and if it if it was a Bendis issue, it would have ended right at as the uh, try the red one, and you'd have to wait a month before you find out. Oh, uh, wait a second, he can see. He loves the cliffhangers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was something that, to your point earlier, about you know the darkness of Daredevil, that everyone seemed to be like striving for like 
how dark Frank Miller's could get. Because, yes, it was fun. Very fun. But as we've talked about before, like, it could get incredibly dark. And it felt like everyone was chasing that. And so this weird thing that I picked up, like, going back through this, is that for modern Daredevil runs, specifically, like, uh, Bendis to Brubaker and onwards, every... uh, every writer would end their run on a cliffhanger to almost be like, all right, new guy, see how you write your way out of this. (laughs) And it's like every single one was like constantly getting darker. And with um, Wade and Somni just like kicking things up and being like really fun and bright and silly at times, um, this was a big tone shift. Just watching him just get beat down. Yeah. It's it's great. Um, it's such an interesting run in that, like, you know, it all kind of leads to this this climax. I think it's issue twenty nine. Um, let me check my notes here because I think that's a honorable mention here. Uh, twenty seven yes. is that you eventually find out that the mastermind behind like the continual targeting is Bullseye, but Bullseye is alive because of this botched hand re- resurrection in mm-hmm. Shadowland. And he's completely, you know, um, immobilized and he's in this like Iron Maiden sort of coffin, you know, where he has to talk through like a ro- like a like a voice robot thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's got like Ikari and Lady Bullseye like defending him and it sort of climaxes with that and then like has a sort of a trailing, you know, action to it with like a few like he's he teams up with the um, all those monsters at a certain point. Yes. And then he gets um, disbarred in New York for having to come out as Daredevil, like, in court. What's interesting is that, like, you know, the Bendis run is, like, revolves around the idea that Matt Murdock's secret identity is finally out and everyone knows he's Daredevil, but no one can quite prove it. So Mm -hmm. he's got to, like, have this balance. And so all through the Wade run, too, is, you know, everyone's like, hey, Daredevil, like, but he's like, I'm not Daredevil. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and so people have kind of accepted it because it is a lighter run. There's not mm. as much consequences to him being, you know, possibly being Daredevil. But everyone's kind of gotten used to it by then. But he finally kind of has to come out with it, gets disbarred in New York. And in the final issue of the first volume, right before Secret Wars, him uh, and Foggy and Kirsten McDuffie, who rules. The, the best I'm going to put it down now. You want to talk about hot takes? The best Matt Murdock love interest. I think I think you're probably right. She's great. You want to talk about like well-rounded characters with agency um, that are more than a romantic foil? Like she is that complete. Mm-hmm. She is great. Um, and they go to San Francisco uh, to start a new law firm there because Matt is. Um, past the bar in California from like a story years ago. And that's how like the, the third volume ends. And that's how fourth volume picks up. But it's so interesting because it kind of goes all over the place. Mm-hmm. And volume three is like way longer than volume four, but volume four is all weight insomni. And they clearly like just vibe so well together Yeah, uh, because like, yeah, we were talking about Wade was going from artist to artist and they all work really well. Absolutely. Uh, but when he got Somni, they like, click yeah. and they're like you and me buddy like we're in it and then they <laughs> did, uh captain america together and they did um uh, black widow together yes now i haven't read their cap which is pretty short I, I i really liked the first half of it it 
I mean, it's gorgeous all the way through Somni's art. Somni's one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, and he's, the art is consistently there. The, uh, the arc, the cap, uh, run takes this weird, like sharp left turn halfway through and it becomes a completely different story, Some sort which of is a little jarring. Sure. Yeah. He gets frozen again and he wakes up in like the year, like 3000. I know. Right. Oh, that guy, he just can't keep, just can't help himself. But, like, the first half of that arc is directly post-Secret Empire. And he goes on a very um, Superman-grounded, except better, like, run where he's, like, just on his motorcycle, going across the country from town to town, being like, Hey, I'm Captain America. Is there a problem I can fix? And everyone being like, No, screw you. You're Captain America. (laughs) You tried to hand us over to Hydra. And it's a really cool, like, road trip style story. And they just, they work so well together. They're one of my favorite pairings. Black Black Widow's really cool. Mm -hmm. And, like, Wade was like, this is all Somni. Like, he hired me to, like, write the dialogue. But the story and everything is him. So, like... Very much the Marvel method. Yeah, but even that was just like, can you... That that run is, like, really sparse on dialogue. Absolutely. That first issue has, like, no dialogue. And, like, like, it's very, like... And I I definitely like the first half of that that run better, too. It's a Mm 12-issue run. And, like, it does take a switch in issue six where the main threat is changed. And I think the first half is, is better. But I really liked it. Um, but man, Somni, so good. I haven't read Firepower so yet. Oh, it, I love Firepower. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, there's only four issues out. I went and picked up issue number four today. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Like, I, I know it's going to be a little while since you are a trade raider, trade waiter, but, um, they do have the first trade, which is the zero the prelude. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I'll check it out. That Kirkman. is worth it. I like Kirkman. I've never really like he's not like my guy, so I'm not right, like always same. there or whatever. You know, he's not like Grant Morrison where yeah. I'm like, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. But like Wait a minute. You're a fan of Grant Morrison since when? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> if uh, he, he it's him and Daredevil. They compete for my for my heart. <laughs> Can you imagine a Grant Morrison Daredevil? I don't even know what would happen. You know, it's so funny, I was thinking about that and I was like, you know what? I actually don't want that. <laughs> because I don't think it's the right fit. Because even though Daredevil has some similarities to Batman, Batman has that timelessness and that that total like malleability mm-hmm. that Daredevil doesn't have. Right. You know, Batman has been changed in so many ways over the decades that allows someone like Grant Morrison, who likes to go weird and crazy and do everything, to yeah. like take him in so many ways. Whereas like if Daredevil was suddenly you know on um, Zurinar, then it was like <laughs> this doesn't work. Like, I'm sorry. But that might bring back the yellow and red costume. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not seeing a downside. <laughs> I, I <laughs> like I like yellow and red. I like yellow and red. But yeah, I mean, get, getting back from that from that big that big Grant Morrison tangent. Um, yeah, the the weight the weight insomnia run is is my and I've said it before on the podcast is my favorite Daredevil run. That's my iconic Daredevil run. Everybody has their own. Um, but that, I mean, we can just carry that right into my third pick as well, because it's also a Wade and Samney one. Um, there for me. Yeah, you won't hear and, me complain about 
<laughs> and it, it takes place during what Matt was saying, like them uh, having moved over to San Francisco. And this is the second, this is during the renumbering of the, uh, of the Samney Wade run. And this is issue number 10 of that second, of that renumbering, which is entitled The Purple Children. It's technically part two of The Purple Children, but this one I think works just as well on its own as part as well as as part of a two-part um uh two-part story and i'm so glad you mentioned it while you were talking about your entry because depression is such is so ingrained into matt's character just from regardless from every um from every run no matter the writer they're always there's always this underlying depression when it comes to Matt Murdock. And the entire run-up to this point has been basically like, oh, that guy Matt Murdock who's sad all the time? Not me. Couldn't be less me. And, you know, characters like Foggy are like, are you alright? Like, like, I know who you are. Like, you need to, like, stop putting up this front. And at the at the end of the issue previous to this they're in san francisco and they run into the children of the purple man and if you are familiar from the purple man uh familiar with the purple man rather uh from the jessica jones series on netflix uh basically the same thing except he's actually purple (laughs) which i think is a was a huge missed opportunity not turning david Tennant purple but that's just me i I like i like him being purple (laughs) Make them purple. <laughs> so basically what you come to find out is that over the years, because um, because the purple man is just the worst, uh, he's fathered some children ac- across across the ways, and he's been slowly like collecting them over time. And they all collectively are able to essentially overpower him because they have they each basically have a fraction of his power and when they're put all together they can overpower him and his ability to um suggest and during the end of the previous issue daredevil is trying to like uh basically round them all up and get them home but they overwhelm him and there's this great little um there's a great uh what is it, 10, 10 panel spread from the previous issue where uh, Daredevil is individually feeling each of their uh, each of their worst emotions. Where, like, there's one where, you know, this little girl was abused by her father and he's getting, like, all the emotions of when he got his ass kicked by Ikari. And, like, all the way through where he is finally, like, overwhelmed by his depression again. And there's this, and I, I just have to read this because, like, it's so it's so good. Um, it's basically, it says, uh, Depression is a living thing. It exists by feeding on your darkest moods, and it is always hungry. Anything that challenges it, anything, it wants that thing to stop. Anything that makes you feel good, anyone who brings joy, it will drive away so it can grow without interference. Its primary goal is to isolate you. At its worst, it will literally paralyze you rather than allow you to feel anything at all. At its worst, you are numb. You are drained. You are immobilized. I haven't felt this way in a long time, but a few minutes ago, a band of extraordinary children used their empathic powers to stir up and amplify all of my half-buried shadows. The kids are gone, but the damage lingers, warm and familiar. I could be in the middle of Times Square right now, and I would still feel no one else's reach, no one else's touch. I am utterly alone. Except for the man who's about to kill me. And, like, that... 
just that explanation is this weird thing where it's like, oh yeah, this is the same character as like the Bendis run, as the Brubaker run. He has just been hiding it this entire time. Like you mentioned earlier, um, just he's been burying it so far. And this is the first time in Wade's run that he really is kind of faced with it. And you see how it affects him throughout the entire issue, through his interactions with Kirsten McDuffie, like her knowing like something's off with him, but not really like sure of how to... um, how to help him because he's been so like, Oh, happy go lucky Matt Murdock this whole time through pretty much their entire association. I love their relationship. I just, I'm going to gush for a second because they like, they meet each other while, um, everyone's still like, is dare is Matt Murdock daredevil. And she knows she has like made up her mind. You are daredevil. And they have this fun little flirtation where like in one of the issues that I'm sure that we are definitely going to talk about in the honorable mentions, she's like, Oh, how's, how's being daredevil. And he's like, I don't know. Ask Iron Man. And like, they have this like fun little banter the entire time that ends up developing and evolving into this actual real relationship and one when she is now faced with like oh i don't know how to deal with this like new matt who is like really like reserved and keeping himself like i'm not sure how to help him it really kind of sets this weird mood between them which is carried throughout the entire issue and when daredevil goes to face off with the purple man who is going after his children in this like chuck e cheese style uh restaurant place like there is a tangible fear there because not only does matt have to deal with the purple man who is i realized rereading through this has been like a mainstay daredevil villain somehow like i always kind of right i always kind of associated him just because of how prevalent he is as you know a jessica jones character and his like huge history and iron man as well a little bit here and there but like his huge history of daredevil i just like i was just flipping through like different runs and i'm like wait a second this guy's been around forever yeah (laughs) and i and watching him there's this there's this page where um you know he's trying to it's at the very end uh daredevil's been able to successfully like quiet down the kids he's like everything's gonna be okay like we are we're gonna get you out of here purple man is like intent on killing these children and he's going to like try and um make the police officers who freshly come onto the scene kill daredevil but daredevil like turns up this loud music so he's drowned out and the very next page has one of the most satisfying daredevil punches i was gonna bring this up if you weren't (laughs) so good like he's got the leg kicked up and everything so you know he put some weight into it like it is one of my favorite daredevil images of all time yeah it's so great it's so good and it's even got like the ridiculous wapow behind it like it is incredible but what really gets me about this uh this issue and why this is on my list is the following scene the kind of the denouement of this story which is matt and kirsten kind of talking afterwards where you know they're doing you know they're crossing their t's dotting their i's about like oh you know we got the kids they're gonna be you know taken care of and all this stuff and she let me see here she she asks him like how's your head 
Like, how are you? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. And she's like, no, it's like, you're not good. Like, I know you're not good. And he and he says this ridiculous thing where he's like, I am ducky, ma'am. Beautiful day, lovely company, wrongs avenged. Life is pretty spectacular. And it's so, like, you you know people who, like, overcompensate like this when they are, like, feeling terrible and they are trying to, like, put on a brave face. And to get possibly a little too personal with it, like, I have gone through, like, depression. I'm sure, like, this year has been very tough on everybody. Um, and I go through, have always gone through since I was younger, like, depression in different bouts, different forms. And that's, like, one of the reasons I think probably why this resonates with me so well because i've gone through stuff like this like pushing it down acting like everything's okay and he says good night to her and it's this beautiful page where it's there's no dialogue there's no like thought bubbles or narration or anything but matt is in this little apartment he's like putting his stuff away and he just like curls up in this bed and i've been there just like you feel just weighed down by everything and it gives you the old you know gives you the little daredevil signal so it's like oh man this this issue is like this is the sign off that's how it's going to end and then i i remember flipping the page on this because i was like wait what the hell and you see him reach for his phone like it's not done he's finally like this is showing to me at least true like character growth character development on his part where he like calls her and the first thing she says she's like ducky like who says that like what is wrong with you and he's like he basically says uh i just i feel like talking you don't have to come over or anything and she says of course i don't i never left and you find out that she's been sitting outside of his door waiting for him and i cried when i first read this um i'm getting teary-eyed just like looking at it now like i legitimately cried because this was such a big step for him anytime that matt murdoch has been faced with like adversity whenever he has like a romantic interest either she is killed or she's um framed for being insane and sent to like an asylum like all of these um this long history that Matt has had with his depression, with feeling alone, with feeling like he's the only one who is dealing with all this stuff, finally had a resolution for him. And that's like one of the reasons I think Kirsten is so like such a strong character because she not only, you know, is able to have that fun banter, they have great rapport with each other, but she's also able to balance out that darkness. She knows that there's a darkness in him and she will she makes it very clear that she is going to stick with him at least for this run um and it's like it's it's beautiful it is it would the issue itself is fun enough with the you know the purple man and the kids and that just beautiful sock on the jaw but like this would have made my list with these final two pages by themselves because it's so it speaks to me as someone who connects with this stuff and someone who like that's one of the things that i connect so well with matt murdoch as a character and as a fictional character but um it's just it's beautiful it is a beautiful comic and it's a beautiful issue and it's a beautiful message too that all it takes is one person to be there for you it's so good it is to some degree the thesis of the entire wade somni run in a single issue which is why i love that run so much and i did a video on it and like 
it's it's an incredibly inspirational story. The mm-hmm. entire run is an inspirational story. It is it is about like facing your issues, naming them, uh, coming to grips with them, and being able to grow past them. It's going to yeah. make me cry right now too, <laughs> because like because you know I connect with the character of Daredevil in so many ways, and you're talking about like. The issues of like going through depression and which is which is something that I've grappled with too, and I'm sure a lot of people have. And that's like the power of the character is like character that really deals with these real issues and they really affect him in, in realistic ways. And that's like the beauty of this entire run is like not denying that that's a real thing and not denying that that's been probably like a permanent part of yourself, like no matter like how things change and like how much you can deal with it is something that you're going to have to deal with like forever, but that it, you can overcome it, that it doesn't have to be something that is like that defines like everything about your life that, you know, changes um, the trajectory of your life that, you know, you, you know, that there are people there for you, that they can be there for you and that you can be honest with them. And in doing so, like you can, you can grow, you can, you can be stronger because they'll be stronger with you. And that's like, that goes all the way through the entire run. It was all yeah. through the entire thing, right to the very last panel, and it's incredibly beautiful. And that finale is an honorable mention of mine. We'll talk about, but Same. like, <laughs> yeah, but that is like the capstone on it too. And we'll talk about we'll talk about it later, I guess. But um, but yeah, this this the purple children are great because when they switched over to San Francisco, it was it was fun and and cool, and it was like lighter and brighter and sillier than ever when they switched right. over. Because San Francisco just has this completely different vibe from New York um, in the comic and in real life. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, he's like, what is it? He, he fights like a a like a motorcycle stunt guy at one point. Yes, one of my favorite issues. Which is so cool and weird. Um, and then there's the, I'm blanking on the name of the guy, that, that retired hero that becomes like the major villain for this arc. Oh, it's, it's, um, not, the, it's not the Shroud. It's, it might be um, the Shroud. Um, and then he's fighting the owl who's suddenly turned into this like high tech, like all seeing, like, yeah, like, hooked up to this, yeah, like, which information. is crazy. And so it becomes really weird, but this purple children arc really encapsulate, like encapsulates what's great about it. And what, um, is really great about the finale of this arc too, uh, this whole of the Wade Somni, like volume four. Um, it's great. It's an amazing yeah. pick. I'm, I'm really glad you put it in here, in here because like it, it might've been a, a contender for me. I didn't want to put, you know, the same ones as you, so we could talk about a yeah. lot. But like, <laughs> you know, every, everything that you put in here so far is something that, like, I I would have considered. Um, same. Like, because, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and and I was trying like my best to like get my list over to Matt as soon as possible after we talked about this because I was like, I don't want there to be crossover. I want us to have like stuff to talk about. And you will probably see a lot of crossover with the honorable mentions, but it's like this is a comic like anytime you can elicit a true emotion from your reader, making your reader cry like I do every time with this book. Like I just oh it it hits me. It it hits me a certain way, and I just I I will always look back to this book and really to this run as the reason why I love the character. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, the, that uh, brings us to. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say that we talked about it briefly, but the one-two punch of this and Matt Fraction's Hawkeye happening at the yes. same time was oh. like was was a. Uh, an amazing experience and a very positive experience for me as a person. 
They Absolutely. both have really great things to say about dealing with depression and yeah. like growing stronger and learning to rely on other people. Like put them back to back. And Hawkeye shows up in like one panel yes. of this entire run when he says, I am Daredevil. Uh, and he's like one of the letters. And I'm like, there he is. There's my guy. <laughs> like, like, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode number five of season two of The Mandalorian, entitled Chapter 13, The Jedi. That's right, it is finally here. We are getting Ahsoka Tano, played by Rosario Dawson. And I was like thinking, I was like, okay, so this is going to be one of those situations where we have... um, Mando and the child looking for Ahsoka we're looking for her throughout the entire episode and then like right at the end or like two-thirds of the way through they're gonna find her and then it'll kind of spill into a part two but no they just came out of the gate swinging right away with this great opening of uh, Ahsoka just like popping up and just like slaughtering these guys it was kind of it was really interesting it felt almost like a monster movie the way that she would just kind of like poke out of the shadows and like just be lit up only by the light of her lightsabers super cool presentation um and honestly you know i i have to say i still think that uh that ashley Eckstein should have been brought in um i don't know if you know obviously rosario dawson is a higher profile name um there are a lot of complicated feelings with rosario dawson um ahsoka i think was done just in general was done well i don't think she was as done she was done as well as she could have been. Um, I don't know if it's just uh, kind of a disconnect with the actor, and this is nothing, you know, I'm not saying I know exactly what kind of acting this should be, but, like, I don't know. It, it just felt stiff to me. And I, I, you know, if Twitter is anything to go by, um, I am definitely in the minority on this, I think. But um, like I said, I overall enjoyed her as Ahsoka. I still, I really missed the kind of um, energy that Ashley Eckstein gave to the role. And maybe, you know, this was her first time portraying the character. She might, you know, next time she might nail it. Who knows? Um, we do, you know, there's rumors and speculation that she might get more opportunities, uh, that her contract for Ahsoka extends beyond the Mandalorian. So I don't know if that means another spinoff or what, but, um, she was definitely front and center for this episode. And I enjoyed that. Another thing that was front and center for me, at least kind of watching it was, uh, the Kurosawa influences. This was, if you took this just how it is. Uh, whether you took it from like Ahsoka's perspective or Mando's perspective, uh, this was just like like plotting wise was exactly like an old school Kurosawa samurai film. The entire plot felt like the the plot, the framing, the camera work felt very much influenced by old school samurai films. And I, as a devout lover of Kurosawa and who has been saying nothing but incredible things about stuff like Ghost of Tsushima this year, I was all over it. I really enjoyed it. However, 
The color palette of the episode was a little strange to me. Uh, my partner and I kept talking about it while uh, the episode was going on. She kept bringing it up. She's like, I don't like the color palette here because it was it was very like muddy. It was very muddy grays and browns. And I get that, you know, Westerns typically go on that kind of color palette. But this felt even more so like that. And it makes me think like how much better it would have looked if they went with like a Kurosawa style, like made it in black and white. Um, I've seen some people on Twitter have like done little edits to make it look black and white and it looks just a hundred percent better but um overall like i i really dug the samurai-esque uh storytelling when it came to not just like the narrative but also you know the fight scenes the action scenes were really good uh this also gave us a revelation on the name of baby yoda slash the child his name is officially Baba Yaddle. And I was surprised as you were, but I think that it fits. It makes sense. It, you know, keeps the BY uh, initials and. Oh, no, wait, it's Grogu. Sorry, my my notes are wrong. Um, Grogu is the child's official name. We got some backstory that he was a youngling at the Jedi Temple. And when the purge happened, uh, he was taken away by someone and. Uh, Ahsoka, who was able to communicate with him, was basically like, yeah, he was taken away from the temple, and then his, uh, his memory gets really cloudy at that point, so I'm wondering if Moff Gideon, like, took him from the temple during the, uh, during the purge, and if, like, that's why he's pursuing him so badly, but I don't know. I'm, I'm super interested. We're getting more lore for the child, which I am always down for, I guess, for Grogu, um, and speaking of lore, uh, at the end of the episode, Ahsoka was going after the main lady, and she was basically like, where is your master? Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Ah! As, as a huge Rebels fan, as a huge Thrawn fan, this made me incredibly excited that we might get more, uh, more storytelling from that. Uh, we we know that from this past year that they are looking for an adult Ed, Ezra Bridger that, you know, the hunt, at least in the show, is continuing. She's still looking for him because the last time he was seen was with Thrawn. So I'm really interested to see what they do with this, whether they continue the storyline in The Mandalorian, whether they, you know, continue it in a separate show. Um, but honestly, you know, you, you could tell... Uh, that this had a this was really focused on building out the uh, the Star Wars TV universe, which I enjoyed. Um, the episode kind of ends with uh, with Mando and Grogu off on another adventure. Uh, they basically Ahsoka told him that if you take the child to this you know these remains of a Jedi temple. Um, he will connect with it, and another Jedi might be able to come find him. Which means more Jedi might be incoming. Fingers crossed for some Cal Kestis. Uh, I I would love to see that. Speaking of which, um, I've seen like recent or this past week, like somebody did a mod for Jedi Fallen Order that replaces Cal with the Mandalorian, and it gives him the dark saber as his lightsaber. It makes me really sad because I'm not a PC gamer, but um, super cool. Just really, really cool. Uh, but yeah, so we know where he's taking him next. We know what the next step is, which is really exciting. And overall, I enjoyed the episode. I don't think I loved it as much as everybody else did. I, I've only watched it once. Maybe I need to watch it again. But um, it, it didn't blow me away, but it was definitely one of the best episodes of the show. I know that sounds weird and contradictory, but... 
I uh, I'm a sucker for lore. I'm a, I'm a sucker for anything Ahsoka Tano. So um, I was really excited to see her involved. I hope this is not the last time we see her. Uh, I hope that the um, the portrayal of her gets stronger personally. Uh, but you could tell that everything that involved her was done with love. I mean, this episode was written and directed by Dave Filoni. So um, you could tell that his fingerprints were all over this, which I really enjoyed. Um, but I'm really excited to see where we go next. We're, we're only, you know, halfway through the season at this point, I think. I don't know how many episodes are in the season. Is it eight again? I don't know, but um, I can't wait to see where they go next. We are getting more and more uh, Rebels and Clone Wars references, which I love. Um, Captain Rex might be on the horizon. Who knows? We'll see. But overall, again, love, really, really enjoyed the episode. Can't wait to see what happens next. And I can't wait to uh, check in with you guys to talk about it next week. So tune in next week for that. But for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And um, to be honest... There were a few contenders this past week, but the one that I settled on was X-Men number 15, written by uh, Jonathan Hickman with art by Mahmoud Asrar. Uh, and I, I know that's probably a surprise because there were some comics that were definitely in the running. Honestly, um, other history of the DC Universe was definitely up there for me. Um, a couple others, but really it kind of, for me, it comes down to uh, biases. <laughs> um I'm a huge Cyclops fan. Anyone who knows me knows that. And this was a great Cyclops issue, uh, basically with him and Jean going against the Quiet Council to say, we're going to go get our boy. Um, I loved it. I really, really dug it. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that Cyclops, uh, these are the kind of moments that Cyclops shines in. And I was really happy to see that. Also getting hints towards this this whole, you know, reign of X that's supposed to be uh, starting this uh, this month. So really enjoyed it, and I uh, I can't wait to pick up the next issue. So that was the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. Let's talk about this week. We've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10 books to talk about. We are, we are stacked kicking this December off. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Starting off with Batman number 104. This is written by James Tynan IV with art by Guillaume March and uh, Ryan Benjamin and uh, someone named Bengal. One word, like Prince. Um, so this is uh, continuing the uh, Ghost Maker Clown Hunter story. Um, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I don't really care for Ghost Maker at this point. Um, certainly not as much as like Punchline or Clown Hunter. Um, I'm hoping that uh, that Tynan cha can change my mind on it, but I'm not digging him right now. But uh, let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here. Ghost Stories Part Three. 
Ghostmaker is living up to his spectral name as Batman scours Gotham City for any trace of him. But this deadly new vigilante is going to prove a bloody point to the Dark Knight by murdering both Clown Hunter and Harley Quinn. That is, unless they kill each other first. So yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of like the relationship between Clown Hunter and Harley at this point. It's fun. Um, but this does kind of feel like placeholder. This does kind of feel like, oh, this is just, you know, the the little placeholder arc before the next batch of big stories. So um, I'm hoping that, once again, Tiny can change my mind on Ghostmaker, but at least there's Clown Hunter. Uh, next up, we have Strange Adventures number seven, written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrods and Doc Shaner. Uh, I've been loving this book. You know I have. I've been talking about it, and I just, let's dive into the synopsis. Adam Strange was right. In this issue guest starring Batman, the Picts have come to Earth, and they plan to reclaim the planet as their own. Earth's greatest heroes have faced alien invasions before, but they're about to learn that the Picts are more formidable, more determined, and more deadly than any invading force they faced before. Only Adam Strange has ever defeated them, but it nearly cost him everything, including his own sanity. How did he survive. Mr. Terrific will need to uncover that secret if humanity is going to survive. So yeah, um, I'm really, like I said, I've been enjoying this book. I'm really digging the idea that we might be getting some answers this time around. Um, and of course, uh, Mr. Terrific doing stuff is always, uh, always a joy so definitely pick this up and really really enjoying this next up we have champions outlawed number three this is written by eve l ewing with art by simone de mayo de mayo i'm sorry uh, <laughs> um i've i've been really liking this uh this kind of brings the champions kind of back down to the feel and the vibe of the initial champions run that i love so much so um i've been liking it and bringing viv vision back and having her be the mole spoilers um is cool and i like that concept behind it so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here Fugitive champions! The heroes who are trapped in the re-education center are stretched to the breaking point. Meanwhile, Ironheart, Spider-Man, and Miss Marvel aren't sure how much longer they can evade Cradle, which somehow seems to track them wherever they go. So yeah, um, I've been enjoying it. I love this uh, outlawed storyline, and I think there's a lot of narrative potential there. So I'm I'm digging it for sure. Next up, we have Deceased, Dead Planet number six. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison, as well as uh, Gigi Baldessini. And it's Tom Taylor. It's Deceased. You know the drill here. It's incredible stories with great characters. Um I love this so much. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The remaining heroes of the DC Universe are stuck between hell and a hard place. With the Justice League racing against the clock to create a cure, the cruel masters of the Southern Garden are determined to wipe all anti-life from the planet. Just when you didn't think it could get worse, the war to save Earth takes a devilish new direction. 
Trigon is coming to end the world as hell is long due its payment in souls. So yeah, Trigon's coming. Uh, we do know that uh, Anti-Life Darkseid is also uh, putzing around somewhere. So it looks like we we might be heading towards a uh, big old clash between Trigon and Darkseid. So um, looking forward to that for sure. Next up, we have King in Black number one, written by Donnie Cates with art by uh, Ryan Stegman. This is uh, the big event that uh, Stegman and... Uh, Kate's have been working towards in the Venom book. This is bringing hell to Earth. I'm, you know, I'm actually really into this. Uh, I'm looking forward to the, it. I've been trying to catch up with Venom. Um, there's a lot. So, <laughs> uh, but I'm looking forward to this. Null has been a kind of a, um, an overarching presence for a while. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does once he finally touches down on Earth. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Darkness reigns. After a campaign across the galaxy, Null's death march arrives to Earth, and worse yet, he hasn't come alone. With an army of hundreds of thousands of symbiote dragons at his command, the King in Black is a force unlike any Earth's heroes have ever faced. Eddie Brock, a.k.a. Venom, has seen firsthand the chaos that even one of Null's symbiotic monsters can wreak. Will he survive an encounter with the God of the Abyss himself? From Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, J.P. Mayer, Frank Martin, and Clayton Cowles comes the definitive chapter in their two-year-long Venom saga that changed everything you thought you knew about symbiotes. So yeah, that's a lot. Those are some lofty goals here, but um, I'm looking forward to this. This should be a really good time. Next up, we have Batman Catwoman number one, written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann and Tomu Mori. I know I pronounced that wrong and I apologize. Um, we have been waiting on this for a while, so I can't wait to read it. Um, I just, I love this. I love Tom, I know that Tom King's Batman is a, uh, is a very divisive subject. Uh, there are things I love about it, there are things I'm not so hot about, but one thing that I really did enjoy was the romance between uh, Batcat. So I'm looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Bat and the Cat, Chapter 1, Silent Night. At last, Tom King returns to the rocky romantic saga of Batman and Catwoman with his Heroes and Crisis collaborator, superstar artist Clay Mann. Echoing plot points from King's epic Batman run, this sweep and tale is told across three timelines. The past, when the Bat and the Cat first fell in love. The present, where their union is threatened by one of Batman's lost loves. And the future, where the couple live a happy life and legacy, including their daughter Helena, the Batwoman. And as the story begins, after a long marriage, Bruce Wayne passes away, which frees Selina Kyle to settle an old score. At every stage of their relationship, Bruce and Selina have an unwelcome cha chaperone, the Joker. Oh, and that lost love of Bruce's? It's Andrea Beaumont, a.k.a. the Phantasm. Just thought you'd want to know. 
Uh, I love this. This is a lot. This kind of, you know, is promising to be this big old uh, Batman epic, this Batman love epic. So I'm excited for this. I know, again, uh, Tom King's batting average hasn't been uh, stellar in the last year or so when it comes to DC Comics, but I've been enjoying his work for the most part, and I'm really excited to pick this up. Next up, we have a book that I'm very excited to pick up as well, uh, Thor. Thor number 10, written by Donnie Cates with art by Nick Klein. Um, what can you say about this? The first chapter of his uh, Prey arc was fantastic in setting up exactly what's going on. The return of Don Donald Blake is terrifying, and I'm really excited to get into chapter two. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Prey, part two. The dark prison of Donald Blake. For years, Dr. Donald Blake has wandered a land far from Midgard, the place he once thought home. Now he has returned to the Ten Realms, but it is not the place it was, nor he the man who once shared a body with a god. New terrors await in what is perhaps Donny Cates' darkest story yet. That is a high bar. That is some big expectations, if you're going to say that, because Donny Cates has dealt with some dark stuff, uh, especially with all the King and Black stuff. So if this is perhaps, quote-unquote, Donny Cates' darkest story yet, um, I'm excited and worried for this. So uh, really, really looking forward to it. Next up, we have Firepower number 6, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. Um so good i love firepower uh we talked about it a little bit in the main uh event of this episode um firepower is something that everyone should be reading everyone should be jumping on this is going to be the big hit for robert kirkman for a while i know i'm you know i'm calling my shot on that one but i'm really i've been enjoying it the art is fantastic the writing is stellar and the storytelling is awesome the world building is of course top tier and you should be reading this book so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here after everything he's been through and all he has sacrificed, Owen is finally reunited with his master, Wei Loon. But the reunion does not go the way you think it will. So yeah, um, there's been a lot of hearsay, a lot of different perspectives, which I like that they play with that uh, in this book. So can't wait to read it. Really enjoy this series. Uh, and if you're reading it, I'm sure you are too. Next up, speaking of our main event, we have Daredevil number 25, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto. Uh, this kicks off a whole new arc for Daredevil, but it's also a familiar one. Daredevil's in prison. Um, I will say, honestly, I was a little... Um, I think last week's issue was not my favorite, of the uh, Chip Zdarsky Daredevil run, but um, I'm hoping that this, you know, is a good course correct. Uh, I loved the art. I thought the it a lot of it felt a little convoluted, but now they have a chance to tackle a familiar story trope of putting Daredevil in prison. Um, I'm excited about this because the last time we had this, it was uh, Devil and Cell Block. B, Subblock A, one of those, uh, which is one of my favorite Daredevil runs. The Brubaker run is fantastic. So um, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis 
here. Doing Time, Part 1 After a landmark year that put Daredevil through the ringer, this December Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto are dropping the man without fear into familiar territory, behind bars. But there are no conspiracies against Daredevil to be found here, just the truth that his actions led to a man's death. Faced with the reality and consequences of his actions, will Daredevil have the stomach to serve his term? Worse still, facing down a prison's worth of criminals he helped put away, will he survive it? So I like the synopsis because it does reference the fact that this has been done before, which gives me hope that we are going to see some something new. So I'm excited about this. I, like I said, I've been loving the Zadarsky Chichetto uh, Daredevil run. I think it's one of the best Daredevil runs, uh, if not of all time, definitely of this modern age, and you should absolutely be reading this book. But the big book of the week for me, the book that I absolutely think you should be reading uh, before, during, and after this issue is Far Sector number 9, written by N.K. Jemison with art by Jamal Campbell. If you haven't jumped on this book yet, we are going to have a fist fight near the monkey bars today so just be prepared for that this book is so good um especially knowing now that joe mullane is going to be the mainline green lantern during future state you need to read this book um besides that the art is stellar the writing is fantastic it is a green lantern neo-noir story what more could you want from this book um it's just, it's great. I really dig this book. It is something that um, has been a highlight for me when it, whenever it comes out, whether it's monthly or bi-monthly, however, you know, the schedule ebbs and flows. Every single time a new issue comes out, I fall in love with it all over again, and you should be reading this book. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Joe's investigation into the conspiracy at the heart of the city enduring takes her to platform solid ground, an alien farmland where most of the city's flood comes from. But what the headstrong Green Lantern discovers there shakes even her to the core, as Far Sector's thrilling threads of murder and machinations build to a fever pitch. So we only have three more issues after this. So we are in the... Uh, we're, if not in the end of the second act, we're in the third act. I am... You need to be reading this book. I'm sorry. You should be reading this book. Uh, it's so freaking good. And I can't wait to see... Uh, start getting some answers as to where this story is going to end up. I have a feeling this is going to be a great issue for those of you who have been reading it so far. So uh, that does it for the comics countdown for this week. To recap... All 10 books. Uh, we have Batman number 104, Strange Adventures number 7, Champions Outlawed number 3, Deceased Dead Planet number 6, King in Black number 1, Batman Catwoman number 1, Thor number 10, Firepower number 6, Daredevil number 25, and Far Sector number 9. 
And that is going to bring us to the wrap up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explain podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. I drop new episodes every single Wednesday and I really appreciate it. Subscriptions really help me out, really helps the podcast out, kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out into the orbit of listeners just like you. Also, feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram if you want to keep up with all the happenings when it comes to the podcast. I also post up stuff on there like polls, uh, little tidbits about the episodes that we drop. Uh, you can follow us at Pod. That's at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Also, if you uh, are so inclined, please feel free to give us a uh, rating and review. Also really helps us out, really helps the podcast out. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review right here on the podcast. You can join the likes of SfireND, as well as Josh from Panels to Pixels, and Matt Draper, our guest from this week's episode. Uh, So thank you very much to those three gentlemen, and I hope to hear more reviews soon. And, of course, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, if you have uh, something you want my opinion on, if you want me to give a quick pitch, uh, feel free to send any and all emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me here. This has been kind of a crazy week. Um, The morning of Thanksgiving, I... I guess I'm just going to talk about it. Uh, The morning of Thanksgiving, I was uh, involved in a car accident, so that wasn't fun. I hope everyone else had a very safe and happy Thanksgiving. And as we roll on into uh, December, I'm fine. Um, I I was a little little shaken around during the accident, but um, I have gotten some rest and I am fully recovered, we'll say. Uh, Carl wasn't so lucky, so I'm kind of figuring out what's going on with that. But um, everything's all good here. I'm very thankful and very uh, grateful that no one was seriously injured. So um, that's kind of been what's going on. So uh, also on Thanksgiving, you know, completely unrelated, but since we're talking about Thanksgiving, uh, we were part of a special series on YouTube and in the podcast space called Praise Patrol, where we talked about the things that we love about uh, about Doom Patrol. I did an entire uh, Geeksplain Extra focused on Rita Farr and her journey throughout both seasons of the show. You can check that out here on the uh in the feed, the podcast feed, but you can also go on YouTube if you're a YouTube happen in person and look us up. It's our first YouTube video. Uh, big thanks to Cole from Critical Rants for helping to put that together. And uh, check out the entire playlist. It's really good. It's really good. Everyone put their heart and soul into each of the videos that were involved, and um, I'm just excited to share that with you all. So uh, next week will be part two of the discussion with Matt Draper on our favorite Daredevil uh, issues of all time. We have our final two picks alongside all of our uh, our many many honorable mentions. We get some. We get real deep into a couple of these. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation that we had uh, this week. I had a ton of fun, especially getting to talk about the Wade and Samney Daredevil run, which is probably my favorite Daredevil run of all time. Um, so. 
I just, I love talking Daredevil, and this is the perfect time of year for it, and Matt Draper was the perfect guest, so thank you again to him for uh, joining me on this discussion. So tune in next week for part two of the uh, Daresember tie-in, Same Geek Time, Same Geek Channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. 